This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 85. You know, I speak with many pilots who have left the airlines for various reasons, including work schedules, layoffs, furloughs, and low initial pay. Often, many former airline pilots miss the flying and challenges of being an airline pilot. Well, today I have with me Travis Watson, and an old friend, experienced skydiver, and pilot who's returned to the airlines after a recent hiatus. Travis is truly a passionate about everything he does and is excited about life. And, and the reason we have him on is because that excitement about life is so infectious. Well, Travis, welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. <laughs> you know, Travis, we it, it, we were just uh, lamenting or, or talking about the, our past here as far as, as what we've done, et cetera. And, and we were going back saying, when, when's it been the last time we, we talked? I think it was like four years ago, I think. I think so, man. Yeah. You visited Nashville, and I was just about to head off to the UK with my my then girlfriend. And uh, yeah, it's so, so much has changed since yeah. then. It's really a it's been quite the journey, I can tell you. Well, it has been quite the journey, and that's why we want to have you on today because you're somebody who's actually left the airline business. Uh, you were a pilot and took a little hiatus, and then you've come back to it. We're going to get a little bit into that as to. Uh, you know, what you've done and, and why you went back to the airlines. But first, before we get started, uh, you know, a quick uh, mention of our sponsor, of course, it's aerospacescholarships.com, and that's the director we, we actually publish for uh, scholarships. And as a matter of fact, as of this publishing, the uh, the price goes up. It's uh, $10 for the guide. It's also $10 for a monthly access. With the monthly access, of course, you get the access to all the courses and videos and all the downloads. And, of course, it's $100 for the year for access to the website. We do update the scholarships guide continually. Uh, so you get those updates if you do become a member. Uh, but, but, you know, the other thing I, that I've, I've noticed, too, is that people are writing in and asking for uh, the what we used to do as Scholarships of the Week. So we brought that back, and we'll mention that Scholarship of the Week at the end. But let, let's get started with, with Travis and talk a little bit about his background. Travis and I, uh, just to give you a background about us, we met in at Weiser Air Park in, yes. in Spring, <laughs> Texas. Oh, man, I remember and that. That was – was it Spring? Yeah, I think the town was Spring. On and Highway 290, uh, west of Houston. Is that Air – is that airport still around? Yeah, yeah. It was Carl Weiser, I think, uh, it was the person that owns it. And we're going to have to look it up online while you're talking to make sure it's still there. But I'm pretty darn sure it's still out there. Uh, and no, no I, I am sure. I, I w- drove by there not long ago. Um, but it was it was a oh just a blast actually uh, flying with you, Travis. And uh, like I said, your your enthusiasm is infectious. And when I met you, I had no clue that you also did a lot of skydiving. So when we met, you were a flight instructor and also a skydive videographer. I know, uh, I know. So- it, was, it was interesting when I got hired there at the flight school. They um, they initially wanted me to work weekends, but then after a few weeks, you know, I, the drop zone needed me on the weekends. So it was kind of. He kind of frowned upon that a little bit because they wanted me to be flight instructing on the weekends during the busy times. But, um, you know, skydiving at that time, I wanted to, I wanted to find a way to balance both. Right. And I managed to do that. And also at the same time, I had like 20 students at one time during the week. So it all worked out accordingly. Yeah, you were you were cranking it there. Um, but, you know, why, how did you get into flying and then skydiving? Which, which one of them came first? Um, you know, honestly, my first time visiting a drop zone was at the Houston Gulf Airport uh, 
down I-45 halfway to Galveston, Texas, and it recently it's, – it's a neighborhood now, but my mother, when I was 14 years old, took me to uh, – it was called Skydive Houston or Skydive Gulf Air, Airport. I can't remember the name. She took me out there and uh, hung out there for a few hours and met the, uh, the owner and uh, hung out with him. And um, yeah, that was a, a solid experience for me to go down there. And just ever since I was 14, I was just obsessed about skydiving. I, I dreamed about it for so long. And I, and I swore, I was like, the moment I turn 18 years old, I'm, I'm going to skydive for the first time. And I ended up waiting until I was 21. I was, I was, in, um, I was playing in various country bands country music bands at the time right after high school and a buddy of mine he was opening up for a, a country singer named uh, red akins in colleen texas and uh we're hanging out you know and uh he's like yeah man I'm, me and my uh, a couple clients are going skydiving you want to go i'm like yeah so we went down to skydive san marcus i did a tandem jump and this was uh like 1998 i was 21 and uh he he did like one jump and that was it and the very next month Went back to Houston and uh, started my uh, my accelerated free fall training at Skydive Houston where they take you through like different levels and like seven different levels. And then you have your level eight jumps or you're jumping with a, a supervise, a, a, an instructor's supervising you. And uh, then you work your, your way up to 20 jumps to get your A license, your beginning skydiving license. So, you know, skydiving um, had its impact. But around that time, probably 15, 16 years old. What really got me into flying was seeing uh, was watching a wing walker by the name of uh, Teresa Stokes and oh, wow. and Gene uh, Susie. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, they were on the air show circuit a lot. And, you know, a dream of mine. You know, I, I always enjoy flying the big stuff and the complicated stuff. But a dream of mine that's still yet to be accomplished is I've always wanted to be uh, an air show pilot, like a stunt pilot, and you know, and, uh, and that's something that's down the line. I still want still want to achieve. Well, gosh, you know, we, we could definitely hook you up. I mean, I've done quite a few interviews with, with different, uh, folks that are wing walkers. And, uh, I, I, I love that. I think that's so cool. One thing I didn't realize, and you probably know this, is that they don't actually wear parachutes because, uh, it's too, too close to the ground, really. That's true. Yeah. That's th- yeah. I was like, wow. I was like, well, this would be perfect. You could uh, do some jumping off in the parachute, but you know, it's too close to the ground for you to jump oh, yeah. off there. So you actually, this is really cool, Travis. You love all sorts of aviation, you know, wing walking and skydiving and being a videographer and a flight instructor. Uh, you know, it kind of has to do with aviation, but let me ask you a little bit about skydiving, the videographer portion of it. And you've done some pretty cool stuff. I mean, you've done some, some large, pretty darn large events, haven't you? I have, you know, um, most of it was, you know, shooting tandem videos and student videos. Uh, I, I did film a few, uh, big wave formations and whatnot and local competitions that, that were going on at the drop zone. And at one time I even, uh, was training with a, uh, with a four way competition, what it's called relative work where they, these four jumpers, they fall belly to earth and they, they do all these different formations and they have 35 seconds to do as many form formations as they can with, within a seek, within a sequence to dive flow. Within those 35 seconds, the higher the points, the higher your standings. And a, there was times I was doing a whole season halfway in Skydive Houston and halfway in uh, Skydive Arizona. It was interesting. There were one the last day of training. All they want to do is practice uh, uh, exits, where they can just look at their exits, look at their their body positions relative to the uh, to, to the relative wind and whatnot, and presenting to the wind accordingly. We ended up doing I had to do two rigs 
I, we ended up doing 16 jumps from 5,000 feet AGL above ground level. And uh, we were done by 1 p.m. where we'd land, I'd run into the hangar, throw my gear down, the packers would assemble it, I'd scramble the other gear on, run to the truck, and the truck would take us to the drop zone over and over again for 16 times, and they'd hand us food and route to, to nibble on, on on the climb up and stuff. So, you know, big events, you know, um, yeah, big way formations. That's uh, that's pretty much the extent, I think, as far as I can remember. You know? yeah, I, remember I remember that. I, I think you shared it either with me or on Facebook or something, and it was pretty cool. I, I love the pictures of that when they're in formation. I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, before we talk about actually flying, is there anything that, that actually kind of transfers over from skydiving to actually flying an airplane? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the aerodynamics, I, when I'm, when I'm skydiving and in, in, in the videography world, I'm, I'm wearing these big airfoils that extend from my wrists down to my waist. And, you know, also skydiving is so sensitive. If you're in the, in the box man, what they call the box man formation, where you're falling belly to belly to earth and your, your arms are at a 90 degree angle and your legs are the same, you know, and you're, you're falling stable. You know, just like an airfoil, you can turn your hands in free fall, turn your body in free fall simply by adjusting your hands, you know, left and right, like an airplane banking. It is so sensitive. So in a way, absolutely. It's a human body falling relative wind, just like an airfoil. You know, you adjust it accordingly. You're going to get left, right banks accordingly. Wow. So you'd suggest uh, pilots actually getting involved, you know, of jumping out of a, an airplane that's actually working. Uh, it's actually something that's good for you, and it'll teach you a little something about aerodynamics. I think there's probably there's some organizations, uh, skydive organizations. I'm sure. Oh yeah. They, uh, maybe you could mention one, and I could I could put a link to it on our website. Yeah, it's uh, the United States Parachute Association, USPA dot org, I believe. Okay, and we'll, maybe dot com. So yeah. one of those. One of those. Well, we'll have a link at the bottom of the show notes, so people can actually link to that. And you know, I've heard from a few people. You know, you really should try it out. It's an adrenaline rush too. Not that it's, aviation isn't, but that's you know, a real general rush. Even after 1,400 jumps, you know, it's like, it's terrifying. <laughs> you know, I do it, it terrifying. you know, simply for spiritual reasons. You know, it's just to go up there. It's a mental game, as in life. Life right. is a mental game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the biggest challenge for me, and it's why I'm so addicted to it, is because it totally pushes my comfort zone. Right. Uh, that's one thing I, I encourage everybody to do is really find ways to push your extend your comfort zone, your boundaries, because the moment we get comfortable, just run away from that. You know, people, they want to be comfortable their whole lives, you know, and it's like, no, life is short. This earth is a training ground. This is what we're here for. We're here to learn and grow and evolve. And unless we don't, unless we're not in an area of discomfort, we're not going to grow. So that's what I do. You know, I'm riding up in the plane. I'm trying to just harness my mind and just focus and just not be nervous but that nervousness never goes away <laughs> and you get nervous in in check rides too i mean in, as far as aviation is concerned and flying and and i guess that coincides it's it's a, a different kind of feeling but you still get that those butterflies in the stomach and it's a good kind of nervous it does check rides are check rides are interesting you know for the first time i acquired a pilot command type rating in the erj 170 190 aircraft my first pilot command type rating that i've always dreamed about Walked into that check ride. I mean, it was it was tough, you know. Some tips on check rides. One, don't anticipate what he's going to do next. Two, don't try to figure the guy out. Three, have fun. Okay. I mean, harness that mind. Just compartmentalize, compartmentalize, if that's the right word, 
one step in front of the other. Don't think like, oh my gosh, I got all this in front of me to do. Just one step in front of the other. I mean, doing a check ride, you can learn so much about yourself and so much about life. And um, yeah, and finally, just have fun with it. Because on my check ride, I had fun because I walked in there knowing what I was doing. It took me a while to, during the training with the, the airline that I work for, it took a while for my self-confidence to grow. But once I was in, once I locked in that self-confidence, I locked into the zone and I passed the check ride. Well, that's awesome. Now you're piloting command of a 17190 Embraer regional jet. And uh, boy, I tell you that those are big airplanes. But let's back up a little bit. Let's go back to you were a flight instructor and, mm-hmm. at Wiser. And let's let's kind of walk into how you got here, how you got to the point where you are now. And and you, you actually were a good instructor um, because I think you liked it. Is that correct? I did. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, do you still teach at all or do you have your license? I don't. I let it lapse. Bummer. All the listeners, do not let your CFI lapse because you will regret it. Keep it up. Because now, I mean, back then I was like, oh, I'm never going to use it again. But but now I'm like, you know, I'm 37 now. And I'm like, I look back and I'm like, I want to, I'm, I'm gifted in aviation. I want to transfer these this knowledge to, to the younger generation so they can live out their dreams. And I, I view being a CFI as giving and helping others. That's a great way to view that. I mean, you really do help quite a few people and you have in the past and you, you're the students. I don't know what you feel, but I think your students are always your students forever. They are. I'm still in contact with a few of them. And I remember that my very first student, uh, I got him ready for his private pilot license in 30 days. We flew every day for 30 days. Wow. Check ride in day 30, 31. And now he's, I think, flying with United Airlines or Continental or somewhere. So cool. Cool. That's I, a, awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good accomplishment, and uh, I I always like the private pilot guys, especially landing practice. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> Me too, Travis. I'm I'm with you, man. Everybody wants to do commercial and, and CFI and instrument ratings. I I love the private pilots, uh, private pilot and commercial because you're actually actually flying the airplane. And you you really don't know what you're going to get, uh, but the private's so amazing because it's so exciting. You know, because you're doing something new. You're earning your wings. You're earning your ability to fly, and I think that's really neat. Um, but, you know, Travis, the instructors, of course, we have challenges and all, and, and it's not it's not all easy, the low pay, the, the many hours of work, but you were able to work yourself into an airline job. Tell us a little bit about that, uh, your first airline experience. My first airline experience uh, was with uh, a regional airline out of Houston, Texas, and um, actually... I'll backtrack just a little bit. From my flight instructor days, I flew part 135 single pilot in the twin Cessnas. And uh, I had a Monday through Friday run between Houston and Corpus Christi. And we all know all the weather coming through. Just like a few days ago, the flooded Houston, you know, constantly having that, constantly having to navigate all that. And uh, back then, I mean, I, I wonder, that was probably the best flying of my career right there. I mean, being alone, being out there, figuring it out. I kind of wonder if I'll ever fly that way ever again. Is it because of the challenges? Or? Yes, and just the weather, and just I mean, one month I shot like forty-one approaches to minimums. Wow. I was getting, I was getting to the point where like shooting approaches to minimums was getting boring, you know. <laughs> In addition to all the emergency failures, luckily I never had an engine failure. But uh, yeah, that was I did that for a year, and then I, I was like, you know, I'm tired of flying this, these aircraft that I just don't have a whole lot of confidence in and uh, went on with a, a regional airline based out of uh, Virginia. And um, yeah, that first year was was brutal. It was brutal. I was commuting from Houston, Texas, 
up to um, up to uh, Ithaca, New York. A two leg commute. So if you're a regional airline pilot, you want to be in the regional airlines. Tip here: make sure that your commute is one leg because you don't want two legs because uh, that just that can take up. Explain that to people that don't understand commuting, uh, the the two leg commute and how you were able to get to work. Yeah, commuting is when you are flying space available, meaning there's an empty seat available on your airline or what is called a code share partner or not even a code share partner, pretty much any airline out there if you're polite. Like we don't have a an agreement with Southwest Airlines, but I'll walk up to the Southwest Airlines gate and say, hey, I'm so-and-so with my airline. I was wondering if I could hitch a ride with you, you know. They, they may say yes, they may say no. Um, more than likely, they'll say yes. It's all about attitude. And um, so, yeah, if you're in, prior to being hired by an airline, they'll put you into a uh, what is called a, the, the known crew member system called CAS, or the, a 10-year background check and whatever. And uh, they'll look you up, you're cleared. You If commuting-wise... If there's a space in the cabin, they'll put you back there. But if, but if that's totally full, they'll place you in the cockpit, which is really cool. I mean, my best cockpit experience, jump seating. It's called jump seating, by the way. You'll occupy the observer seat between the captain and first officer. I was going off to, to California to, for, for R&R and uh, laying back there, my legs extended and, and munching on ice cream in the jump seat of a 757. That was the coolest <laughs> jump seating experience I've done. Normally, 99% of the time, it's not like that. So, um, so yeah, commuting is can be quite challenging. If you can move to where you're, you're based, that is preferable. But as for me, it's not, which I'll go into detail later. But, um, yeah, jump seating, uh, space available. On your own time, sometimes on a day off, traveling to and from work, and it can be quite, quite demanding. But my tip on that is just be present, be in the moment, be in the now, just focus on the present moment. Don't worry about the future, but oh my gosh, am I going to get there? Just try your best. If you do, if you try to, if you at least try two or three times and you can't make it, call the company a little problem and say, okay, just try to get here as quickly as you can. So. Yeah, all different airlines have different rules, too. You have to check what your rules are for commuting. But it, I'm glad you mentioned that, commuting the day before. Uh, many people, they think that, I go, you know, especially me, I go up the same day I go to work. That's not true. If I have to be there at 5 a.m., I'm going to have to show up the day before so I can get some sleep. And uh, a lot of times people have what's called crash pads or, you know, I have family where I work. Um and they'll go to sleep in these crash pads or use a hotel room, which kind of can get expensive. And uh, have you had any experience with the crash pad thing? I did. Um, when I was in Ithaca, they uh, they had a, I paid like 150 bucks per month, and I didn't have a car. But luckily, some of the pilots were there. They had vehicles, and yeah, so it was just like a room with like two or three beds in it. You know, didn't expect much, but uh, interesting. There's a, a few. There's a bunch of websites out there that have their important resources. Um, that uh, have links, and I luckily found a crash pad up in New uh, up in uh, Newark, where I'll be based. So cool. I got that squared away. Cool. As a matter of fact, we're gonna have to get together because that's where my my family is up in Newark. So oh, absolutely. I didn't, I didn't realize you were up there. That's cool. Uh, they uh, so I'll, I'll be we'll be excited. We'll probably get a picture together. Hopefully, we'll put it on the website. So next time we're up there, maybe in uniform or something. Um, but uh, you know what's interesting? The you talked a little bit about the the crash pad thing and the and the commuting thing again. I think a lot of it has to do with your attitude because there's people there, – there's two different jobs here at the airlines. There's people that commute and people that don't commute. If you don't commute, you have a ton of time off. Yep. It's incredible because think about that. If you don't have to commute up the day before, 
when you finish your trip, you just go home. You only have to drive an hour or two to get home. It's like, wow, that's awesome. Whereas for me, a door-to-door takes me six hours to get to work. Um, which is actually, I don't think that bad. You know, I just time it door to door, which, um, I, some people, it takes longer than that. You know, imagine people going coast to coast. They have oh, to gosh. drive to the airport, get on a plane, fly across the, 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 the country, et cetera. Um, but anyway, so that commuting is, is one of those things that you have to make a decision about and you're going to get into why you did that. But getting back to this, this experience you had with the, the first airline, um, you actually did this, uh, how many years ago? And, uh, if you want, you can share why you left the, the airline then. This was in uh, 2005, 2006. Um, I was a year and a half flying the Saab 340. Great airplane. Well, it had the uh, CT7-9B engines, which are all the helicopter engines, and uh, it was pretty good up to 10,000. Then afterward, it kind of petered off, but uh, met a lot of great people, had a lot of great emergencies, uh, lost an engine right after takeoff in the Saab one time, Ooh. and uh, handled that, came back in for landing, and no worries. But uh, um, a year and a half, I was just about ready to be upgraded to captain, got the call, and then that was in uh, August, and they said the class was coming up in a few months. And that October, I got a call from uh, my half-sister saying my, my biological father was sick. Apparently, he, uh, he, he, my, my dad, he was a Harley-Davidson biker, you know, grew up in the 70s, you know, drugs and alcohol and all that. And uh, I think he acquired hepatitis C, which is a viral infection, kept on drinking, and, and uh, his kidneys failed one day. So he got home from work feeling really ill and was coughing blood and took him to the emergency room, got the call for that. At the same time, my mother and stepfather were going through a divorce. And at the same time, my mother had a mental breakdown, and that's when her dementia started. Where There was a whole guardianship issue and court legal battles. So the divorce, the dementia, and my biological father all at the same time, bedridden wow. for months. Yeah, so then November rolled around. He got pancreatitis and, and liver started to be affected. And uh, the doctor had the talk with us, you know. So here I was having to make the final decision. Should I extend his life or not? And he was just totally gone, not with it. So I was like, let's just let him go. And um, with a divorce and dementia, I was like, I'm not ready to be a captain. I've got so much on my plate right now. I'd be too distracted to do it. Right. So I was like, like I'll just I'll resign. Uh, we'll separate however we want to do it. And uh, and that was that. I took about eight months off. Actually, about two years off now that I think about. Two years off, and uh, I eventually moved my mother up to Nashville, Tennessee. The divorce got settled. Everything was squared away with uh, my father's estate. And, uh, okay, two years later, I got my mom up, moved up here. Everything was stable. You know, she was still living independently. So I acquired a job with a charter company here in Nashville. Great job, part 135, on-demand charter. I had two hard days off a week, which is unheard of, Monday and Tuesday. Wow. Flew the King Air and the Piper Navajo. Mostly day trips, flying celebrities, country music singers, music industry executives all over, and, and politicians, whatnot. I would still be there today. But then 2009 rolled around and they laid off half the flight department and uh, the company folded. Then the May 2010 floods came through and it flooded the whole airport and all the airplanes. So that was a, a sad sight to see. At, the, at 2009, you know, I was three years into taking a break. And at that point, I was already 100% devoted to the care of my mother. We initially moved her to an apartment. Her mental condition declined. 
then to an assisted living. The first assisted living, it was like 2000 a month. It was wow. too much. We finally found her a HUD, a housing uh, assisted, government housing assisted, but very nice uh, facility right across the street from that first choice. She was there for like a year and a half. Her mental condition kept on declining. Then she was had to be moved to an assisted living up in Portland, Tennessee, an hour north, which had its demands an hour drive. I almost had to do that daily for a year. And, you know, not counting the day, almost daily visits or every other, every other daily visits to, to see her in her previous locations as well, just to make sure that she was eating right, her meds were being taken, were being taken, and, and her place wasn't a wreck because she would just wreck the place at times. And uh, Man. So, <clears throat> you had it tough, man. Yeah, man. Uh, and how, did you do any flying during this period? I couldn't no, imagine you could. Sure. No. I didn't have time. Enough time. I worked odd jobs, working videography and web series business work and all that whatnot, which is very fun. But uh, there was um, – it took me a while to even get the state of Tennessee to approve a home health care nurse to be there half the day. And I could show up for three or four hours the other half. I had to get like lawyers involved and everything. And finally, they, they, uh, they, they agreed to that. Um, so she's in a, she was in assisted living in Portland. And then she had an altercation. And, and now she's in a nursing home right now in Clarksville, Tennessee. I go to see her as often as I can, given the time that I have and the gas money that I have and the amount of car, m- amount of miles I want to put on my car. You know, it's I try to see her once a week, and uh, I'm amazed right now in her state. She can't talk anymore. She can only understand certain words, like you know who I am. She's like yes, but I ask her, can you say my name? And it just doesn't register. She doesn't. She can't say my name. She can't say her name. She doesn't know where she is what day it is, anything, but she's in her own world of happiness. And that is, that is quite profound to me. She's more present in the moment at times than I am. She doesn't worry about the past. She doesn't worry about the future. All she worries about is the now and that's, and all the ups and downs of living in the now, you know, there's a, there's a book that I'm reading that I've read like, well, actually three times over the past couple of years. It's helped me got through this and it's called uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It really just honed in, just just made the present moment more, more present, you know, and that's the key to it. Just good attitude, being present, not worrying about the past or future. And that's what she, she, she was teaching me, you know. And I had talked to a, uh, a medium one time, uh, which is a psychic person you know, a couple years ago, and she said, you know what? She's the, she's, that's the reason why she's still alive because she's – teaching you that lesson and a couple visits ago it really dawned on me i was like wow that's why she's here so she's happy i may not be happy because i i wish she was like in a in her own castle servants and whatnot to take care of her but she's in a nursing home the place smells like death but um but she's happy and she's physically active i mean she could outlive me i mean her physical condition is amazing she walks constantly but her mental state is beyond repair her and her happiness did that inspire you to get back into flying again? I realized at the nursing home she was in a place where she was she had care twenty four seven, and I was like, after six years, I was like, you know, I've done enough. You know, I've I've, I've put in my time. It was time for me to start working on myself. I'd just gone through a breakup a year before, and uh, that I was in a seven year relationship, engaged, and uh, we're still friends today. I mean, it was great. We talk almost every day. She lives down in Florida now, and it's fine. She's still in my life. She's still a great friend. 
I'll, I'll, you know, having a friend is so much more important than like having a lover, you know? So, um, so you had all these challenges you had to deal with. I'm surprised you even decided to get back into flying, but I guess. Yeah. I was just, you know, something just, I followed that gut feeling, just like that same gut feeling that I moved to Nashville. It was like, I just followed that gut and I was like, it's time to work on me and to get my life back together again after just, you know, taking care of, a, of a, being a caregiver for so long. So I was like, you know, this is where I want to go. And uh, I interviewed, I was for the past year and a half, I've been working for uh, Trader Joe's and uh, I've been doing that. Great place to work. It's it was a lot of fun. Met a lot of cool people. A lot of a lot of cool customers that I uh, that are my friends today. And uh, worked there a year and a half. And uh, it was just time that I just I, had, I interviewed. I, I actually I found a local flight school. A buddy of mine that I worked with the charter company, and uh, I teamed up with him for a couple hours in the simulator. I hadn't flown in six years, and I sent in my application to an airline and. Uh, I knew a friend there that I had flown with on my part 135 days. He helped get my resume in, got a call with like the very next day. And, uh, they, uh, they, they, uh, bought me a ticket, flew me out to interview and, uh, passed the interview and the simulator evaluation and the CRJ 200. First time flying, a you know, a semi motion, you know, simulator. And, um, and, uh, they offered me a class date a month out and two weeks out. And I was like, you know, I'm going to do it two weeks. I'm ready to get, get back into this. And so I talked to my boss at Trader Joe's and he goes, Hey, my, if I leave a, you know, earlier than two weeks, he's like, dude, fine. Come on back when you're ready. So that door still open as far as like part-time jobs. Right. Except here, if you're first year FO, you need to get a part-time job because the first year pay, it's pretty low. So find that part-time job. I'm going to work four or five shifts a month at Trader Joe's. That'll be an extra five, 600 bucks. And that'll help tremendously. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, got interviewed um, in February. My class date was March 3rd. Um, I did a couple weeks of basic in-doc and then came back to Nashville for a few days and then uh, went back to St. Louis Flight Safety International and uh, two weeks of ground school. Basically, this big manual that's like four inches, five inches thick with all these individual chapters of all the systems and having to break down each system and analyze it and uh, do that within two weeks. That was just, uh, that was quite a challenge. I mean, I, during this whole training process, it was emotionally, it was the ups and downs, incredible sadness, incredible happiness, self doubt, you know, worrying like, am I going to make it through this, you know? And, and, uh, but trust me, if you're listening right now, if you're thinking about, going this route. And if you, if you do it and you feel these emotions during training, it's okay. It's normal. You're human. And then after the two weeks, we I went into like, I'd like time off between that and sim, the full motion simulators, which are amazing. They're like $17 million a piece simulators. And, uh, went off to Alaska a few days. We did some R and R came back and, uh, eight sessions, you know, where they throw everything at you, you know, just you're doing instrument approaches, fires, cargo doors, you know, just anything and everything and working on cockpit resource management. Luckily, I, I teamed up with a, with a captain who was, who was a military guy, left for two and a half years and was coming back, whipped my butt into shape. So I'm incredibly thankful for If you can team up with a captain, normally they team you up automatically, but if you have the choice, find a captain in your class because most of them were FO and FO based and that's kind of hard. But uh, 
once again, attitude, having a good attitude. I can't overemphasize that. Don't complain. Don't ever complain. If the schedule isn't going according to plan, don't complain about it and call the company and go, why, why isn't this moving fast enough? Some people did and they got fired. So some people got, some guys got flunked out, you know, but, but I had such a strong rapport. I mean, there were some rough times. There were some simula- simulator sessions that didn't go too well. And I walked out going, oh, can I redo that again? And, you know, we had eight sessions and at times guys were being sent home at session four or five, you know, and so the fact that I made it that far, I was so honored to be there. And they could detect that, you know, the rapport I had among the flight safety instructors was that I had a great attitude. And so because of that, you know, they kept me around. You actually saw people leaving and were asked to leave. So yeah. how, how many people you think out of your class were asked to leave? There were two out of my class, two out of the previous class. Uh-huh. I let people go left and right. So it happens. Yeah, it does happen. So, gosh, I mean... And that's kind of scary, too. I mean, it's uh, scary hearing that. Uh, and I, I can't emphasize enough to people that they should prepare. Is there anything you did to help you prepare for the training, like memorizing things, et cetera? Not beforehand, no. No. Because sometimes airlines will send you the memory items, et cetera, beforehand and allow you to, to dig into those. Um, yeah. um, and that's a great help. Yeah. Do You uh, didn't have that? No, I didn't. No. Wow, that's tough. Because I usually tell people, they send you anything, memorize everything, because that's a big part of that training. And it's it's stressful. And, and and this is why people do this, by the way, I think, because it is such a challenge. Not everybody can do this. I mean, I know in my class, my first initial class, we lost about 10%. In my initial class with um, another airline, we maybe lost one, uh, maybe 3% of the class or whatever. Uh, with the majors, I mean, I think we lost one person in the class. And it doesn't have to do only with the flying abilities. It's like you were t- talking about. There's a lot of personal things that go on in your life. Oh, yeah. And and life happens, man, and, and it's just the way it is. And if you have to take a break, you take a break. Some some companies will work with you. I mean, if it's something that happens, you know, my my sim partner had a – his father had a heart attack. And so they said, we'll move your sim ride to right now if you want. And then you can go home. And he's like, I'll do it. And he did. He went home and they worked with him and got him back on after, you know, his dad got better, et cetera. So, you know, you have to look at it. I think what you're saying is your attitude is really important because if you took a different attitude, you you may be leaving quickly. Now, they're going to give you a little more slack and maybe look past a couple small hiccups or failures as yep. opposed to, for someone they like as opposed to somebody they, they dislike. And that's an excuse to get rid of them. And don't. If you're if you're going through training, never feel entitled to anything. You know, I know the the air, the regional airlines are hurting for pilots right now. They need you, and um, and they're offering sign-on bonuses. You know, anywhere from seventy five hundred to twenty thousand dollars. It's incredible. Yeah. But don't ever think that you're there and they're just going to give it to you because that's not the case at all. Yeah, getting in the door is a little easier. It's uh, staying in the door. I think yeah. is the challenge, especially through the, through training. Uh, we, uh, you know, like I said, we're looking at like 10%, uh, as far as failure rates usually at an, at a regional airline. Uh, but I, I'm not sure what, what was it like at your airline? Do you know percentages? Did they share that with you? No, they didn't. No. It, it's interesting because you, you do find that I've, I've actually seen some classes where half the people went home. Uh, just because of, I think, Sometimes, and I hope I don't do this too much here, is that we will tell people, listen, getting a job is not that tough right now at a regional airline. Uh, keeping the job is somewhat difficult. And, and the things that you mentioned actually will happen throughout your life. 
at a career with an airline. There are certain things that happen in your life. I mean, I'm heck, I'm involved in in helping a, a parent that's sick, and uh, you know, you have family issues, et cetera, and they just come up, and you just have to deal with those. Uh, I think that's why when you're younger, sometimes it's a little easier uh, to do these things because you don't have all those obligations of children, et cetera. And I know there's a lot of people listening right now that are older. You just have to make sure that everybody's on board. You know, I was helping uh, somebody who's, you know, he has kids that are out of the house. His wife is like, yeah, go for it, do it. Uh, And that's really important to have everybody on board, but you have to communicate that just like you're communicating to the company that, hey, you know, I love it here and and I'm enjoying this and uh, yeah, yeah, I'm having these challenges. So always be open. Yeah, I there was there was a time I had like 10 days off between like Sam and Checkride and whatnot. And it was every day, every day I spent at flight safety and I observed a simulator session, which is extremely important. Observe simulator sessions, observe the the pre-brief and the debrief, just hearing the procedures over and over, just so many little foggy moments in my brain just cleared up. Observing sims, going over like, you know, flight management system procedures every day, learning, you know, how to do the flows on that and going over flows. A flow is a, a sequence of buttons and, and dials you'll push and, and at, at each segment part of a flight, you'll learn that during your training and, uh, um, just going over that daily. What I didn't want to do, and don't ever do this. If you have a, if you have a space in your training, don't just go home. Don't go overseas. Do whatever. Stay in the game. Stay present. Stay visible. So those flight safety guys or whoever you're getting your training can see you. And you never know what might happen. You may be there and say, "Hey, a sim's open. You want to jump in?" Which I did like a couple times. A couple sessions are over. Jumped in, shot a few approaches, just to keep current. Waiting for that time for my checkride day to come up. So, so important to be present, show a good attitude, keep your head in the game. You know, it's interesting you mentioned going home. A lot of people don't realize there's sometimes large breaks in your training. Like you said, 10 days. Uh, I, I find that the people that go home and kind of come back, they have to really regroup when they come back. And oh, yeah. sometimes they can't get back up to speed. I don't know what your experience is. Never go home. Stay in the game till you're done with training, and then you're done with training. Then you go home. That is the, the proper way to do it. Training is is difficult. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. It's it is difficult. Uh, it's it's actually it's it's really weird because it's fun and it's difficult at the same time. And I know that sounds weird, but it's even like recurrent training. Like you you dread going, but once you're there, you're like, oh man, this is really interesting. Uh, but like, like you said, live in the moment. Don't worry too much about, oh my gosh, that's right. I'm being tested. You know, just, just enjoy it. Enjoy, enjoy what you're doing, but concentrate. Um, this really, you know, Travis, I, I think this has been awesome as far as the description there, as far as getting on, et cetera. And, 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 you know, going through the training. Now at the end of this training, you talked about, uh, in doc, in doc being all those, those procedures that, and, you know, the operation specifications of the airline, et cetera. And that took like two weeks. That's kind of like the, I always like to liken that to like a history class. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get into like the engineering class when you start doing the systems like you outlined. And then you have to put this all together. And then you have this, this exam at the end. Um, of your training. And what, what was that like? Is that like a typical private pilot license? No, it was a, uh, it reminded me so close to my airline transport pilot certificate check ride. Um, you've got to go in there, be pilot in command, show captain authority, show self confidence. It took a while for my self confidence to get where it needed to be. And luckily it made it through. Um, you'll be flying right seat 
So you'll have a, a captain's seat filling in there in the simulator with you. Put them to work. You know, have them brief the approaches. Have them set the speed requirements. You know, and um, have them run the checklist. Put them to work. He's there for you, and just make decisions. Act as if you are the captain of that flight. You know, it's interesting you said that because a lot of people want to do everything on their own, and you can't do that in an airline environment. Uh, it's multi-crew, and, and I know I did this. I wanted to do everything, and I remember my instructor turning to me and says, Hey, are you a single-seat fighter guy? And he, I said, No. He says, Well, quit acting like one. You know, let the other person do stuff. I was like, Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, because you're so used to, especially when you're an instructor, you're so used to doing so much and then helping out, and then you try to sit back, of course, uh, but you're always there. You're interacting with your brain. I think the the key, though, what you said is uh, being in the game. When you, I've seen people that have stayed and, and observed simulator sessions, and boy, I tell you, that's so helpful. Oh, man. you're sitting there like, did I do that? You know, and you see the person making the same mistake you made, yep. and you're like, oh, wow, now I get it. And you can visualize the mistake, and then you try not to do it again the next time. And there was, there were quite a, a few pilots who were, like, concerned that I was, like, judging them or watching them or thinking to myself how I could do better. And that's, you know, never am I in there observing a sound there in a supporting, loving fashion, rooting them on mentally, you know, and uh, just to, to see everything and just, yeah, just keeps current, you know, and just seeing everything over and over again. It's so impactful and so important during those breaks. So you made it through this initial training. Then what happens? You're, you're out of that sim. What's next? Um, I'm sitting here in Nashville, Tennessee, and like five minutes ago, uh, I checked uh, my online schedule, and sure enough, I mean, nothing was on there yesterday. Sure enough, let me pull it up here real quick. Um, it came online. I'm leaving for uh, initial operating experience on uh, Friday evening. So I've got two more days off before I head off for our initial operating experience. And what that is is once you do your check ride, you'll be paired up with a check airman for uh, 25 at a minimum, and uh, 25 flight hours, and uh, well, they'll check you out on the aircraft, and officially after that segment is up, it could be anywhere from 20, I've heard, high numbers. Once that time is up, you will then be a fully line qualified airline pilot, so it's an exciting time. I'm actually going to get up and fly this airplane that I've been studying about for two and a half months, so it's um, I'm terrified as well, so <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean, if a few members of my class are doing their IOE right now, and I'm hearing the stories. So it's uh, everybody's having a great time, and I uh, can't wait. Can't wait. And, and you know, uh, I think a lot, another thing people don't realize: the first time you're going to land this plane is with passengers, right? Yes. <laughs> a little nervous, eh? <laughs> uh, I tell you, the first time I, I uh, landed uh, this last airplane, I, I learned to fly on the Airbus. So it was like. I just uh, realized, oh, my God, there's passengers back there. And uh, <laughs> w what's funny is is that they, they try to teach you how to land. And you're like, well, you know, if you just do it the way you, you're used to, I think it's better. you got to get in your own groove, in other words, and uh, and just land it the way you're used to landing it. And, uh, you know, a lot of Czech airmen want to do it their way and, and sure. tell you one way. And then if you have multiple Czech airmen, you may be landing differently with each Czech airman. But you really – it's one of those things you have to have to learn on your own, just like when you got your private pilot's license, right? And if you're listening right now, what Carl's referring to, he's referring to the isms of the different people that you fly with. And you'll encounter that all the time. Each and I had, during the sim sessions, I had like four different instructors. I preferred one, but I had like four different ones. So each one of them had their own ism. So if you run into an, an instructor who's teaching you a certain way and different ways than you were taught, don't just go, never go, oh, I was never taught like that. Just be accepting 
play the game, cooperate, and learn that ism of that particular instructor and move forward. You've been through this process. You've done this. You're a little bit older now. Um, you know, is there any advice you'd have for folks that are looking at getting back into the airlines or restarting their airline career after, say, 10 years or so and, you know, working with the challenges of low pay and inconsistent schedules, et cetera, and, and just starting over? Just view life as an adventure. It's a challenge. You know, it's uh, there are jobs out there you can work in a cubicle and make millions of dollars. But what's the bottom line? The bottom line is happiness. Do what makes you happy. Follow your gut feeling. And if being out flying around the world and with all these challenges and low pay, whatever, I mean, who cares, man? I mean, as long as you're happy. I've lived a stellar life on not making a whole lot of money. I've traveled the world not making a whole lot of money. You know, I've, you know, I've, I've got, I live in a nice loft and I, I drive a nice car. I'm flying a jet. You know, my health is great. Um, you know, it's, uh, I've got a lot to be thankful for and just analyze your life and just make sure you're humble and grateful. Cause I mean, there's not a whole lot of jet pilots out there and aviators out there in the world in general. And it's just a, a unique gifted ability to have. And, uh, and you're, you're making, you're helping people get to their destinations. You know, you're, you're not just a guy in a cockpit that nobody sees. You're an important factor of society as well. You know, luckily, if you see that movie Catch Me If You Can, where the captain is back in the 80s where he was jumped or getting on everywhere and the, the captains are signing autographs and stuff, you know, that's – I really wish aviation could be that way again. And that's, that's one of my goals. It's to do what I – what can I do? Like if a little kid walks up to me and wants to meet me, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, meet with that little kid, give him a high five and even sign a business card. I'm going to make darn sure that everybody sees me sign that business card. And that's just not because I think highly of myself, but just because I'm trying to give a little energy to that mode of thought of how it was back in the eighties, back in the glory days, you know, where pilots were superstars, you know, and now they're, now they're not viewed as such, but as much, but, uh, yeah, that's that's a, kind of like an ulterior motive as well. Just kind of trying to get those glory days back into this game again, you know, because, yeah, we're, we're uh, yeah, I don't know, just a personal challenge, I guess. Oh, sure. And I, I think it's happening. I think uh, there's a lot of young people out there looking at it saying, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, we had a generation of you can do anything, but now they're realizing everything is, is, uh, there's challenges to everything and being an airline pilot isn't the easiest thing to, to do. Otherwise there'd be a whole bunch of people in it. And, uh, you know, look at the shortage amongst, uh, the regionals. I mean, you know, it's the pay is an issue, the, the, all the licenses you have to get, the degrees, et cetera. But, uh, I think that's really good advice. One step at a time. Don't worry about Everything coming up in the future and just it is challenging, man. Doing a single engine approach down to minimums, man. I'm like exhausted after hand flying that a couple times in the simulator. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Every time I got out going, you know what? If if uh if this was easy, everybody would be doing it. So it's uh yeah, it was it's it's quite challenging. But that's why I'm in it, and that's why you should be in it. Why take the easy route in life? Take take the challenging route routes so you can learn about the world and most importantly, learn about yourself. I think that's true. And I, I think another point you touched on was, you know, bringing that passion back into aviation. And 
also, we really are ambassadors to this industry. And I think Travis makes a good ambassador to the industry. And, uh, you know, when there's a, I love those flights when you have these kids come up. I mean, we spend, or at where I work, we spend a lot of time with kids up in the cockpit or just anybody who wants to come up and get their picture taken and say, Hey, sit down. You know, look like, make it look like you're flying and we'll take a picture of you. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you can ask us anything. We'll give them wings. I love giving them the, the wings and things like that. And sometimes we forget about that magic of flight where we're taking this large piece of metal up into the air. And when people ask me, you know, how's an airplane fly? I said, it's pure magic. Uh, you know, we just are able to be the magicians and, and <laughs> we get to play the tricks and, Great and, and it's just so much fun. I mean, they, but, but if you want to be brought into this world and learn the magic behind it, uh, I, I invite anybody to come in and, and enjoy. Um, uh, Travis, I know loves aviation, uh, just like as much as I do. And, um, you know, someone had said that I have kind of a childlike enjoyment for aviation. I, and I said, you know, I don't think it's just me. I think, uh, and Travis can back me up on this. I think most aviators are like that. Oh yeah. Uh, they're just like little kids. I mean, we still, I still get amazed. I go to the airport and watch airplanes take off and land, little airplanes. I, I just think it's cool. Yeah. It's still, I'm still amazed by it. It's, it's awesome. Well, uh, well, Travis, this has been awesome having you on here today. Thanks. And, uh, this has just been terrific. You've given some great advice and, you know, we're probably going to get a lot of questions, uh, uh, for Travis. And what I'll do is if you just go to the contact page and uh, send me an email, I'm going to forward that on to Travis. I'm sure Travis, you wouldn't mind answering a few questions possibly. As many as as many as they send. Awesome, awesome. He, he, you know, like like I said, he's he has an infectious personality and, and just a, a neat guy. But uh, oh, and by the way, before before we close, I just want Travis to think about one last piece of advice he can he can uh, put towards us us the listeners uh, as far as an aviation career. But I uh, just want to mention one thing that we did bring back the scholarship of the week. So uh, the scholarship of the week this week is actually the Greg Coons. Airshow Aerobatic Instructor Scholarship, and that's a scholarship. Uh, and I don't know if you know Greg Coons. He's an airshow pilot. He's an aerobatic instructor, and uh, they actually made the scholarship in memory of Bobby Yunkin. And uh, the recipient actually has to be a CFI. You have to be a flight instructor, and you have to have some experience in aerobatics. And the value of this scholarship right now is at uh, twenty-seven eighty, as far as the, the the value of the scholarship. You can find that uh, right on the website by linking uh, this episode aviationcareerspodcast.com slash eighty-five. Or just go to aerospacescholarships.com, and you can link there to the, the entire guide uh, right at that point there. Well, folks, this has been awesome having Travis here. Um, and, Travis, just any last you know words of advice to folks that are listening and looking at getting in, back into this career? Um, I can't overstress the importance of uh, in, in your training, group study, and also finding ways of proactive learning. Because you sit there in the classroom, you're only going to absorb so much. Find ways that you can, like, Proactive, learn, like if you have to write down the manual or write down a system, whatever method it is, always self-doubt yourself. Did I really learn that? Did I really learn that? And once again, talk it over with your classmates. Don't be that person that studies by themselves all the time because they wash out all the time. So just group study, proactive learning, study hard, be grateful, be humble, and uh, do not feel entitled and always be present. Don't worry about the future. Worry about the now. That's all it is. That's all we have. That's it. Well, thanks, Travis. That's some great advice. And, you know, if you, you have challenges in life, I think listening to, to Travis and his story, uh, you can relate to that. I, I'm sure that there – and, gosh, Tra Travis has been through quite a bit. 
and we can all learn from his challenges. And he's a, a, been able to actually stand up and move forward in his life. He, you can't keep him down, and I think that's terrific. I think that's the way you have to be, especially in this career. Uh, you know, don't let people get you down and pick yourself back up. You know, I always like to end the show with telling people to do something and do something now to move forward in your career, in your life, no matter what it is you do. Just take one step forward. And, you know, Travis mentioned uh, a book, The Power of Now. If that's something you want to read and to help you out in your personal life, in your career life, I think that's a good thing to do. Get out and read something. Do something. Do something like anything. Fly an airplane. Study. Look into actually getting ready for your first airline job and envision yourself being there in the moment and enjoying that ride. Travis, again, thanks so much. We appreciate having you on here. And and if you're listening right now, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you could, please rate us. And uh, if you're looking for the the scholarships guide, there's money out there. Go to aerospacescholarships.com or go to the scholarships on aviationcareerspodcast.com. Folks, safe flying. We'll talk to you next episode and do something now to move forward in your career. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.